Book Three, Chapter Five of Stolen Idols. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stolen Idols by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Book Three, Chapter Five. The afternoon was still young when Mr. Johnson passed through the park gates of Ballaston Hall and drove slowly down the village street on his way back to the great house. He studied the signpost which marked the road to Norwich and hesitated. At that moment a young woman stepped out of the grocer's shop and, recognizing him, nodded in spiritless fashion. Mr. Johnson fancied that he caught an almost wistful expression as she glanced critically at his car. He drew up by the side of the cobbled pavement. "'Good afternoon, Miss Besant,' he said. "'Good afternoon,' she rejoined, looking up as though surprised. "'I thought of motoring in to Norwich,' he confided. "'I wonder whether you would care to come. It will take three-quarters of an hour to an hour, and I need not stay there for many minutes.' "'It sounds delightful,' she admitted, "'but I am afraid that it is quite impossible. "'Madame is very restless today, "'and I am quite sure that she would not allow it.' "'You might ask her,' he suggested. "'She hesitated. "'I might,' she agreed doubtfully, "'but I am afraid it would be scarcely worth while "'asking you to wait.' "'Nonsense. I have nothing to do,' he replied cheerfully. "'Jump in, and I'll drive you to the gate.' "'I'd rather you waited at the corner,' she begged. "'I'll come back and tell you anyway.' Mr. Johnson obeyed instructions. He drew up at the point where a by-road curved around to his own and the little house, and on to a chain of rather remote villages, descended and glanced into his petrol tank, lit a cigarette, and settled down to wait. In a few minutes Miss Besant reappeared. He was conscious of a measure of disappointment which rather puzzled him when he saw that she was still without gloves or coat. Nevertheless, there was a slightly eager expression in her face. "'Madame has surprised me very much,' she announced as she paused by the side of the car. "'She seems willing for me to go, but she would like to speak to you first. "'Delighted,' Mr. Johnson replied, preparing to alight. I proposed myself as a visitor yesterday, as you may remember. The young woman nodded. For some reason or other, she confided, Madame is very curious about you. Directly I mentioned your name and said that you were outside, she told me to fetch you in. Please be careful what you say to her. She is very peculiar, and everyone humors her. Whilst you are talking, I shall get my coat and gloves. I'll do my best, he promised her, as he held open the gate. "'Don't keep me too long. I can foresee that conversation with Madame will be difficult. I hope she knows that I have lived abroad for a long time and am unused to ladies' society.' "'You'll manage all right,' she assured him encouragingly. She opened the front door and led him across the low, almost square hall, oak-panelled to the ceiling and with several strange and, to Mr. Johnson's taste, not yet educated to futurism, extremely bizarre pictures upon the wall then she opened another door softly and beckoned him to follow her this is mr johnson who has come to live at the great house madame she announced she left him then and mr johnson crossed the room towards the couch 
his curiosity concerning madame rather increased as he bent down to take her unexpectedly beautiful hand she was lying flat on her back in a sort of invalid chair which was drawn up as usual to an open window and from her waist downwards she was covered by a beautiful chinese wrap of light texture he was astonished by the lack of wrinkles in her face the clearness of its complexion the absence of any sign of illness a lace scarf around her neck was fastened by an exquisite pin with ancient paste gems and the fingers of the hand which still remained in his seemed ablaze with jewels all of them with old-fashioned settings which contained however some really fine gems so you are my new neighbour she remarked abruptly her voice gave mr johnson further cause for surprise it was very low and very musical but it possessed other qualities which he found it difficult to define i have come to live at the great house for a time he replied why have you come here she demanded he accepted the chair to which she had pointed imperiously it is a most extraordinary thing he said but every person i have met since i came here has asked me the same question why should i not choose to come and live a quiet life in market ballaston the place pleased me i wished to live in the country in norfolk for choice the house and the surroundings were just what i wanted i don't believe a word you're saying she declared shortly mr johnson himself something of an adept in the art of guarded conversation was taken thoroughly aback for a moment he could think of nothing to say why do you want to come and live in a house in an out-of-the-way village like this a house too in which another man was murdered do you wish me to believe that it was chance or perhaps morbid curiosity or had you another reason my dear madame mr johnson assured her as to morbid curiosity not a soul even mentioned the matter to me till after i had paid over the contract deposit and secured the lease of the house never mind whether they mentioned it or not she persisted her fine eyes challenging his do you mean to tell me that you didn't know about it mr johnson thoroughly on his guard now adopted a soothing tone how could i he expostulated i am a complete stranger to this neighbourhood and as a matter of fact i have spent most of my life abroad the man who was murdered she continued you know he was my brother had also lived abroad had you met him coincidences are scarcely likely to multiply themselves he remarked dryly i hail from new york and your brother i understand had spent most of his life in china she lay quite still for a moment her hands clasped she seemed to be considering there is an idea here she recommenced abruptly that you are either a detective or that you have come here determined for some reason of your own to solve the mystery of my brother's murder that you knew all about it before you came that you took the house on purpose what about that her eyes seemed to be trying to bore their way through to the back of his head mr johnson remained imperturbable my dear lady he protested i can assure you that this is a foolish fancy she had raised herself a little and she sank back now amongst the cushions the hard insistence had gone from her eyes but she was still uneasy i hope she said that you are speaking the truth i hope you are 
Mr. Endicott, he reflected, was, as you have just reminded me, your brother. He was, she admitted. Then why, he asked, do you feel so strongly upon the matter? I mean, supposing I were a detective, which I am not, or an amateur criminologist, or anything of that sort, bent upon discovering the secret of the crime at the great house. Surely you would welcome my efforts. Why not? A gleam of horror lit her eyes. You know nothing about it, she cried. It is not a matter for anyone to meddle with. Ralph was my brother, it is true, but he is dead, and there is an end of it. I am his nearest surviving relative. It is for me to say, it is for no one else. If anyone dares to interfere, they shall suffer. Once more she sank back, exhausted amongst her pillows. Mr. Johnson bent over her with the air of a doctor soothing a refractory patient. "'My dear neighbour,' he begged, "'please believe that I am here for no evil or malicious purpose whatsoever. Under no circumstances should I ever take any course likely to bring distress upon you. I am not at all the sort of person you think I am.' "'I trust not,' she acknowledged a little wearily. "'Have you taken a fancy to my companion?' "'I wouldn't go quite so far as that,' he answered, smiling, "'but I must confess that I find her a very pleasant young person. "'I was just off alone to Norwich, and I thought that the ride there might amuse her.' "'Very well,' Madame decided. "'You can take her. "'Come in and see me again some time. "'Come as often as you like. "'I am not altogether satisfied about you. "'I wish I were.' The door was quietly opened, and Miss Besant appeared, dressed for her excursion. Madame waved her hand in a little gesture of dismissal. "'Is there anything I can do for you before I go?' the young woman asked. "'Nothing,' was the curt reply. "'It will take you, I suppose, an hour to go to Norwich, an hour to frivol there, and an hour to return. See that you do not exceed that time.' "'Very good, madame.' "'And Mr. Johnson?' "'Madame,' he answered, looking back from the door, "'come and see me to-morrow about the same time, unless you are engaged. "'If so, find out from Miss Besant what time will suit me. "'That is all. Good afternoon.' "'Mr. Johnson followed his companion across the hall and out into the street. "'He was feeling a little dazed. "'Madame,' he remarked, "'has a great deal of character, and also vivacity, for an invalid.' "'The girl remained silent.' she climbed into the car with a little murmur of pleasure madame she declared settling herself down contentedly is very much stronger than she used to be i shouldn't be in the least surprised if she recovered altogether and then she won't need a companion any longer mr johnson swung around the corner with the skill of a practised driver in that case he observed my sympathies are divided End of book three chapter five